Welcome back into Snow the Goalie, the only Flyers podcast, the people's podcast, the players podcast, the podcast that quite frankly takes everything, turns it on its head, and entertains the fine folks of the Delaware Valley. Man, a week after Dave Haxtall was relieved of his duties, this Scott Gordon-led team looks like a totally different Flyers squad, and here to break it down is uh, myself, Russ Joy, at Joy on Broad on Twitter, find me there, uh, and my fantastic co-host, Mr. Positivity himself, the fantastic, the recognizable at your local Wawa, <laughs> Anthony Sanfilippo, who you can find on Twitter, at Ant Sanfilly. Uh, I say this at the end of every show, but in case you never make it there, if you go into the description of this episode, you can, of course, find the links to uh, this podcast on pretty much every platform, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever else you get your podcasts. But of course, we also have LinkedIn to there, uh, Anthony and and my uh, Twitter handles. So all you have to do is click on them and boom, follow. There we go. And keep the the uh, conversation going on, on Twitter and, you know, you, all that. So you had to dive. You had to dive into the. Uh the the Wawa thing, right? I I had to, yeah. Not every not every conversation that we have prior to so, going on the air is uh, is privy to. Uh, <laughs> so all right, well, I mean, people are going to be wondering. So all right, so Saturday um, before the Columbus game, I'm getting ready to drive down to uh, Wells Fargo for the game, and um, I need to get gas before I before I go. And so I stop over at the local Wawa, and I'm gassing up, and I said, yeah, while well, I run inside, because I I'm like, yeah, by the time I get down there, I'm probably not going to eat. So I figured grab something a little snack a soda or something on the way down and i get in line and uh pay my pay for my little uh, items and as i'm walking back past the rest of the line i can't let I, that go you gotta tell what the uh what was the what was the order it was nothing special it was like a little chicken salad sandwich thing people want to know those little flatbread chicken salad sandwiches okay and um it, i'll tell you what the drink was a um uh, it was a Coke, but it was that 20-ounce can. Have Ooh, you seen those? Yeah, yeah, like the pounder cans. Yeah, yeah. yeah I like them so much better. I always like the taste of of a Coke coming out of a can better than I do out of the bottle. Fair. Um, I don't know why. Uh, but anyway, and so I'm like, well, if you're going to get the – if they have the 20-ounce can as opposed to the 20-ounce bottle, I'll get the 20-ounce can. And sometimes they have a two for 222 on those 20-ounce cans too, mm-hmm. which is a nice little deal. But anyway. You know um, what place had that before, Wawa? Sheets, because Sheets is better. <laughs> Stop. I'll, we'll get into that later. We're not going to get into that argument. I would absolutely um, love to. No. We'll, we could... No. You, you know, yes. No. No. Yes. Um, anyway, so... <laughs> there's, there are so many people that are like, yo, I'm going to definitely go click on these guys on Twitter right now because I have to go... Uh, yeah. I have to kill this guy. Yeah. yeah they're going to kill you, not you me. Know, you know what the real debate is? They're not going to kill me. I believe I, in Wawa's better than Sheets. I know that I've sidetracked this conversation and people always get mad at me for doing this, but but just as an aside, the, the whole thing, when you talk about Sheets versus Wawa, and this is the thing that a lot of people don't get because they've just never lived anywhere else. In order for you to have a an educated opinion on this, you have to live in an area where Sheets was your only option and Wawa was your only option. Live in both of those worlds for at least a year, year and a half. Get the feel for the ins and outs of the menu, and then you can have an educated opinion. And that has been my life. I lived in Sheets country, I moved to Wawa country, and I can say that I don't really... I don't compare them because a lot of the things aren't comparable. Sheets has a fryer. Wawa doesn't. Wawa's breakfast is really good. Their coffee's better. Sheets puts tater tots on things. Like they, they're they really not comparable. They're both wonderful in their own ways. If if you could put a Sheets and a Wawa across the street, I would go into one to get a couple things, go across the street and, and get some things from the other. So if you haven't lived that life, you got to get there. All right, go ahead. Back to you. Back to your story. I'm I'm so I'm so aggravated. Why? I'm just I'm just aggravated with this whole thing. No, this is good pod. Go ahead. No. <laughs> Why? 
<laughs> do you know that there? By the way, you know there's a there's a um a documentary that's coming out. It's probably propaganda. I'm not I'm not lying to you. There there's a there's a website and everything. Sheets versus Wawa the movie. It's it's literally coming out. It, it may it, it, I believe it's coming out in in 2019. Are you serious? I swear to you. I swear. Look it up. Okay. There's a Sheets versus Wawa the movie. I think it's a documentary film that is coming out. I'm pretty sure it's coming out in 2019. Okay. Anyway, so while I'll finish telling the story while you look that up, and then you can confirm that I'm correct. So I'm on my I'm on my way back out of the line, and a guy stops me, and you know just you know taps me on the shoulder as I'm walking past, and I turn around, and he's like, "Hey, man, just wanted to let you know, I uh, really enjoy your hockey coverage." And I'm like, "Oh, thanks, I appreciate it." And he goes, "Oh, by the way, I really like the thing that you guys are doing between periods." Now he didn't know that it was called the Press Row Show, um, but that was okay. But at least he's you know, checked in and he's watched it and he's, uh, I asked him real quick where he's watching it. He's watching it on Twitter. So he's watching it through my Periscope uh, as opposed to the Crossing Broad Facebook page, which probably means he's a follower of mine as opposed to a, you know, Crossing Broad specific fan. But I mean, I mm-hmm. guess there is a crossover, so it could be both. Um, and uh, and he's, he thanked me for keep, you know, doing it, told us to keep up the good work and uh, he'll be tuning in. Much appreciated. Wawa so there Gower. you go. There you go. Right. Wawa Goer number one. Yeah. That's nice. So was I right? Is there a movie coming? I got I got sidetracked. <laughs> so here here's what it was. Um, I remember I remember seeing a little while ago that there was an article. Yes, uh, Sheets versus Wawa the movie. It's uh, Sheets versus Wawa dot com. There you a, go. Yeah, documentary. Blah 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 blah. Yeah, um, that is the thing. It's coming out. I I remembered seeing recently some uh, some people I went to college with that have moved to Texas. There's this place called Bucky's, and apparently Bucky's is like the size of a super like a, a Walmart super center, like the, the bigger version of the Walmart, the 24 hour version. And it's apparently like the most extravagant place in the world. It's like if sheets and Wawa had a really ridiculously oversized baby and had a, a bigger cult following and a, had a beaver as its mascot, apparently it's that good. Um, yeah. Why, why, what's your hatred for sheets? It's not a hatred. Okay. I don't, I don't hate it. Okay. I just don't think it compares to okay. Wawa. You know, so in other words, okay, you know what you know what is in the area that I compare to Sheets? Okay. Go ahead. Royal Farms. You've been to Royal Farms? I have not been to Royal Farms. I've heard that, so, that they have delicious fried chicken. That's all I know about Royal Farms. Yeah, they Farms. do. They actually okay. really do. So so Royal Farms, the close the only one that's kind of in uh, in at least in my area, um, is there's one down by the Philadelphia airport. Yep. Um uh, well, I shouldn't say that. It's close actually closer to Boeing, but it's off just off of two ninety one and it's in Delco. I mean it's it's Definitely in Delco, um, which is, you know, really gets infringing upon Wawa territory because, you know, Wawa's home base is Delco. Um, and I've stopped there a couple times because I had to get gas or whatever the case might be. And I've walked in and I said, no, let me just check out their stuff. And it's not bad. I mean, it's okay. I, I don't think it's Wawa. <laughs> and and just like, you know, Sheets is okay. It's I'm, I'm, I'm fine with it. It's not like I'm sitting there saying, oh, I would never stop at a Sheets. But I don't think it's as good as Wawa. So that's why. So when I when I fall on Team Wawa side, it's because of I, I just think it's the better option. It doesn't mean I'm I'm anti sheets though. Have so you always you been a Delco guy? No, I grew up in Philadelphia. Okay, I, I lived in so the you, city. You've, you've always lived in Wawa territory though. You're like you're well, the no, southeastern. I mean, what, what, you're no, kind of like when, the I was, south, when, when I was growing up, we didn't have a Wawa in West Philly. Okay, we had Seven Eleven. Well, we had actually, Oof. and we didn't even go to Seven Eleven. Uh, there was a Seven Eleven, but we didn't really go there. The place I went to, I lived across the street from a little mom and pop grocery grocery store. That's better. Called Nick's. It was Nick's Grocery. 
And it was all the same stuff. You can get sandwiches there. And then eventually um, Nick sold it to a guy named Dominic, but he never changed it. He kept the name as Nick's. But he also built off to the side a place called Larry's Little Shack. And Larry's Little Shack served um, steaks and sandwiches and stuff. And this was literally directly across the street from my house. So you went over there, and every time you needed anything, you needed a sandwich, you went to Larry's, which was part of Nick's. Or if you just needed, like, you know, uh, to grab uh, grab milk or, or juice or whatever. My grandmother used to send me across the street for cigarettes because my grandmother was a smoker. Um, and that was this was before you, you can you, – this was when you were allowed to buy cigarettes before you were 18. Um, and, and, you know, all that stuff. So whatever you needed – the only thing they didn't have was gas, right? I mean, it was just across the street. But um, probably other than didn't that, need much gas at that time, driving Model Ts. So <laughs> I didn't even I didn't even drive at, the, at that point. I didn't drive till I lived in the suburbs. So, so yeah, I mean that. So I, I didn't grow up with a Wawa. I mean, Wawa didn't become a thing for me until I actually lived out in the burbs, and I didn't move out here until <sighs> I was almost sixteen. So, so there you go. All right. Anyway, we uh, we I'll, have now I'll, we have, uh, I'll reserve, we have now I'll reserve judgment. We have now wasted the first 13 minutes not of a Flyers podcast talking about Sheets versus stores. Wawa. These are the real things that we have to – Anthony, it, it's so important to the people who follow this team to know that you're given real legitimate options, unlike what the Flyers have had in net for most of the season. See, you know, on one hand, you might look at a guy like Michael Neuver and say, this guy is kind of run down. There's not a whole lot he can give you, but sometimes he can give you one one really tasty thing. And maybe that's Royal Farms. Maybe Michael Neuver is is Royal Farms. He's that good fried chicken. But, you know, you don't want fried chicken every day, and sometimes it's going to come out too greasy. Then you have, like, this new shining object off in the distance. And maybe that for you uh, was, was Wawa, right? It was, it was your bright shining object. It was, ooh, look at these screens that light up. Now I can order things. I don't have to go to Nick's or to Larry's. Although, in fairness, that guy should have named the other thing called Damos, because that would be Damo Nix. See? Put the two things together. Uh, Carter Hart maybe is the Wawa. Like, he's the he's the guy that everybody gets excited about and and has a, a cult following. Whether or not it's actually warranted, that's a, a whole other thing, and we'll break that down. But, I, you know, I think that's why we got into this. Now, Sheets, of course. <sighs> I, don't, I don't know if we have a comparison for Sheets. Brian Elliott might be Sheets. Better than people expect but also not always the most reliable, I would say. Brian Elliott Sheets. Yeah, that's actually pretty good. Are you, are you done? Yeah, I'm good now. Okay. I'm done I just want to make sure you got I'm that done. out of your system. I'm done with the was, fast food references. It was, yeah. it was fine. It was a well-done, improvised little bit that you put together there. Thanks. I appreciate that. Because I know that that wasn't the plan coming in. I know you just kind of pulled that out, pulled that out of your rear end right there. So I did. I, you know I, give, you, I give you credit for the, the ingenuity. Appreciate that. Thank you. I'll hang up and listen. <laughs> Uh, so let's let's talk about this flyer squad that that has absolutely turned things around. Obviously, you know, just reference Carter Hart, and and I want to get to that because I know that Flyers fans, I, I think the casual fans have have kind of gotten pulled back into this team, um, and and some fans who might have fallen away. That doesn't have to be necessarily the season ticket holders themselves. This could just be fans in general who like to check in on the Flyers. Were kind of, I I don't know. They they kind of found themselves at a bit of a distance. Um, they, they found themselves disconnected from the team either because of its lack of success, its lack of identity, they didn't like the coach, they didn't like some of the players, they didn't like the system, whatever the reason was, Carter Hart seemed to be this kind of galvanizing force, and of course that, <laughs> Carter Hart's call-up was actually announced before Dave Haxtall's firing, even though the writing had been on the wall, it had already been reported, Carter Hart really kind of became the story of the team, 
And it, it has been interesting to kind of monitor not only on Twitter and on Facebook comments and on the, the site anytime you write anything up to, you know, see the, the way that people are approaching this, but just to talk to people who haven't been following the Flyers all that much that I know that they say, oh, this, this heart kid, like, is he any good? And they look at the stat line and everything and they say, all right, he looks fine. He, he must be the best option. I think we need to kind of like pump the brakes a second, back up, and let's kind of take a look at the, the first few games of his career. He played three straight, obviously had off Sunday. Michael Neuver put on a, a bit of a masterclass against the Rangers. So let's start with Carter Hart. We'll get to Scott Gordon. We have some trade rumors coming up. And of course, we have an exclusive interview with Scott Hartnell. That's, uh, you know, I probably should have let off the show mentioning, but, you know, it's in the description. It's fine. Carter Hart. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I, I think Carter Hart has played well so far. You know, I, I I think in the three games, um, he's uh, he's looked good. Um, you know, the game against Detroit, I, I really think that the the Flyers really locked down their defense in front of him and didn't really force him to face many difficult shots. Um, as such, I didn't think he had to make any really big saves in that game, and he wasn't really facing a good offensive team. Um, so it was probably a, a the, the right time uh, or the right opponent, I should say. Do it at home in front of what you know is going to be a supportive crowd um, and play against a team that doesn't light up the scoreboard, doesn't get a lot of shots on goal, um, and really kind of like let him work his way in. And so that was a good start. Um, I was a little surprised that they went right back to him for the Nashville game, uh, but Considering Nashville was so shorthanded, missing uh, three of its top five goal scorers, um, uh, really missing, you know, and Subban is uh, the quarterback on their power play, so he's out as well. So, you, you know, really kind of limited offensive uh, options on the, on the Predators. I guess that was the rationale with going to Carter Hart a second time, again in front of the home crowd, and he had a nice game. Um, made a lot of saves. I didn't think Nashville got a lot of great chances on him, and I kind of thought his first couple of periods um, were a little shaky. I mean, he was making saves, but, boy, he was leaving a few juicy rebounds out front. Um, but I thought he, on the whole, I mean, when you make 30, 31, 32 saves, whatever it was in that game, um, that's that's not that's not small potatoes. And I think that what, what the difference is is that we had grown so accustomed to whoever was in goal for the Flyers, not named Carter Hart, would face similar shots, which are which should be routine, um, and one or two would find their way in, and that would be you know deflating for the Flyers. And so the the fact that Carter Hart is able to keep the you know routine saves from getting behind him automatically gives him a leg up over. The, any other goalie so far this year. Plus, of course, again, like I said, you got this great supportive crowd who's going to think they're cheering every save like it's the Stanley Cup playoffs. I mean, it's craziness what they're doing with this kid. Then comes Saturday, and you got Columbus. Now Columbus is here's a team that's at full strength um, offensively, and their top line was just really good. Um, Carter didn't have a bad game. Gave up four goals. Did not have a bad game per se. Um, I, there there were two goals which he felt like he should have made a save on, um, talking to him after the game. The first goal, um, even though it comes off of an Ivan Provorov turnover um, and, and ends up being a, a nice series of passes 
by the Blue Jackets. Uh, shot comes from uh, the high slot and just beat beats Hart uh, low glove. Um, he said that he felt like he was a little too deep in the net for that shot. He should be out further. If he's out further, he can cut down that angle a little bit better. But being that he was sitting back at that point, he felt like that was that one's on him a little bit. I don't. I, I kind of think that he's just trying to cover for Provorov's mistake there. Um, so I, I kind of give him a pass on that one. Um, the second and the third goals, he was really hung out to dry. One was a bad line change, and the other one was a turnover um, at the blue line by Voracek and both of his defensemen um, on the ice at the time, which were Provorov and Sanheim, got caught a little too high, let three guys get behind him. He had no shot. I mean, really had no shot. He actually made uh, a beautiful save uh, on the second goal. He made a beautiful save on Cam Atkinson uh, with, a, with his right pad, and then the rebound went back to Atkinson. He couldn't. There was nobody marking him, and he, you know, Atkinson just puts him in the net. So I don't, I don't put either of those on hard either. The only one that I kind of sit there and say he should have that is the fourth one. And I was arguing with people on Twitter about it because it comes off of the – it's a set play and it comes off of a faceoff and it was really fast. And, and the fans are right. It was a quick shot. Um, but Panarin, Artemi Panarin – if I say that name 30 times in a row. Artemi Panarin takes a shot from the uh, – he's a right-hand shot on the left side of the right circle. So he's in shooting position already. And he's a little bit off – from where Claude Giroux is, who's marking him. And Couturier loses the faceoff, and the draw goes right to Panarin, and he takes a shot, goes between Gudis's legs, and then and goes through, uh, goes through uh, Hart five-hole for the fourth goal. And that kind of gives um, Columbus the, the two-goal cushion that they need going into the third period. And, and I, when I talked to Hart after the game and asked him about it, he said, you know, I need to make that save because it's a set play that they tried earlier in the game. Which is not anything that I had, to be honest, that I had noticed. Um, but he says, he says, this is, they, they tried it in the first period. Same thing, they put Panarin in that spot, and he drifts a little bit of further um, up the circle so that he gives himself space away from whoever the forward is that would be right next to him. And in this case, when the goal happens, it was Claude Giroux. Um, and they try and take a quick shot. You know the puck. It's more. It's more a the center will try and tie up the draw and kick the puck into a space, and then you know Panarin comes in and takes a, a quick shot. It didn't get through the first time they tried it, but this was the second time they tried it. And Hart says, you know, I need to recognize that he's in that scoring position and get myself ready for that. He says I wasn't ready for that, so that one's on me. And so even if he even though yes it comes through a screen even though yes you know Radko Gudis you know it, you know doesn't get out of the way or, or Giroud doesn't get to the shooter it doesn't matter in that instance Carter Hart knows that that's if he's got a, the first reaction has to be I got to take away that shot and he didn't so I, you know did he have a bad game no he thought he actually had a pretty good game even though he gave up four goals. Um, but it's little things like that, and I think he's got the right demeanor and the right attitude. Like he's not, he's not, you know, crumbling under the bright lights of the NHL. I mean, he's he looks at it and he says, yeah, you know, I, that's something I got. I got to learn from that. I got to, you know, I got to recognize that sooner. He's he's identifying what he needs to identify on the ice, and it's not anything 
structural in his own game. It's not like it's you know, it's not like he's misplaying something. It's that he's got to identify situations faster because if, you know, and he also admitted that kind of shot is not something you see in jun- in juniors or at the AHL. Okay, that's something that's you're only seeing in the NHL. Uh, a set play with that speed coming at you that quick. Um, and he, you know, so he's trying to recognize situations, and that puts him light years ahead of most twenty-year-old goalies, right? Um, so yeah, I, I, you know, I, I'm not sitting here killing the guy by any stretch of the imagination. It, he, I think he's played pretty well. And then he got a breather uh, Sunday against the Rangers, and Michael Neuver went in and, and, and did a good job. So you know, the Flyers three and one since the coaching change, since Carter Hart's arrival, he's two and one, um, and, and they're playing better. I'm still not loving the way they're playing, but uh, hey, you win three out of four, and uh, you know it's starting to look a little bit, a little less dire than it was the way it was looking when their last road trip. I think the uh, stat that John Bork had said after the uh, the Rangers game was something to the effect of the Flyers in games where they had scored three goals or less. I think they had one win in the last. I think it was month, and under Scott Gordon, they have three of those wins. Three wins when they've scored three goals or less in his first week on the job. So, you know, it, it seems like they're playing a more fundamentally sound game in a, in a lot of ways. They're playing a, a cleaner game, and it's not l- resulting in a lot of these lopsided kind of games yeah. that became a somewhat defining measure, I, I think, or like a defining legacy of, of what Dave Hackstall's team was towards the end, where, you know, people who were, were real Hackstall haters would just constantly point back to, well, you know, there was another four or five goal lopsided loss, you know, you're not seeing that with Gordon. Now, of course, the the sample size is still tiny, and they haven't played all of the best competition in the world. I mean, that Detroit game, obviously, uh, Detroit's not a good team. Um, you know, Nashville was out without P.K. Subban, although they're still a very good team. Columbus, Columbus is a, a solid team. I wouldn't say that they're, you know... I they know. give the Flyers problems every time they play them. They do, but I mean, a lot of teams... <laughs> In fairness, a lot of teams recently have, uh, in, in the last year or two, have given the Flyers problems. So, I mean, Columbus does a good job against the Flyers, but I, I don't think I'd put them up as a perennial cup contender uh, even this year. So, I, you know, I don't know. Those are, I guess, a couple things. Now, I think the thing that I, I was more impressed by with Carter Hart, at least after the first game, um, is, you know, people were asking, it, it might have been the Thursday game against Nashville. Uh, in his post-game remarks, people were just kind of asking about, you know, the, the differences between his first game versus that second game and, and you know, what that meant to him and, and what felt different, what felt the same. And one of the things that he said, it, it definitely was Thursday, because he said that after the the debut that he made against Detroit on Tuesday, he got on the phone and, and you know, spoke with a sports psychologist who he's been speaking to, I, I guess, since he was in, uh, early mid-teens. Um, and he, he said that he wasn't happy with how he kind of got him overwhelmed in the moment and that he needed to kind of refocus and kind of like find his, his baseline, find his medium again. And, you know, it's, we talk a lot in, in sports, especially in the current sports culture, or, you know, with mental health, we talk about the importance of, of guys being aware of themselves and being aware of, you know, what's being said about them or, um, you know, maybe kind of tuning a lot of that stuff out. Carter Hart, I I think for a 20 year old kid, especially is a very impressive young man. And I I think that when you hear, you know, the term sports psychologist thrown at, there's still going to be some, some people who associate that with the guys not mentally tough. 
and I think in the ever-changing dynamic and landscape of what sports is, I look at it more as a positive. I don't look at this as Carter Hart, you know, found himself in a, a couple tough spots, had a full meltdown, forgot how to play his sport, and is now trying to, you know, pick up the pieces. Him speaking to a sports psychologist has been a thing that he's done for, I don't know, almost half of his life now, or three quarter, or what, a quarter of his life. And, and I think it's not so much of trying to put the pieces together, it's making sure that the pieces don't fall apart at any point. And if, if it starts to feel like things are getting away from him, it kind of like what he said, you just kind of refocus and you find that that baseline that, that you're comfortable with and, and you don't lose yourself in, in the moment, especially with all the pressures that come with being an NHL player. So I, I'm at least very encouraged by that. I don't know if, if that's something oh, that, yeah, you know. Yeah, it's, I mean, I, I, yeah, I'm, look, <laughs> it's, it's, sports it's a and it's yes it's a job and yes it's constant competition but i mean you know look we all work in competitive marketplaces right i mean we all do in in a lot of ways and sometimes you're going to be at your best sometimes you're not going to be at your best um and it's not like you know you're going to lose your job if you have a bad day right i mean you 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 would have to have a really really bad day to lose your job um you me you know every normal normal guy would have to have a really really bad day to lose their job for one day so if you have a bad day bad game you just got to put it out of your mind and so like i you know i get i'm i'm impressed that with him and i'm impressed with the fact that he's very level-headed and if he chalks that up to being able to talk to a sports psychologist for since he was 11 years old then great <laughs> you know what good yep. for him i i'm just not i'm not into that like i don't i don't feel like i would ever need to to you know have someone else kind of you know get me in the right frame of mind if i can't be in the right frame of mind to do the job that i need to do then i shouldn't be doing the job that i'm doing that's how i look at it so I don't I I don't the buy generational it. divide between Russ and it's Anthony not a generational taste. divide thing because no Russ because these guys have existed for a long long time I mean the the Flyers have employed a a team sports psychologist for decades decades it, it, so this isn't anything new I'm just I'm just you know maybe I'm a curmudgeon and I, but I don't. I don't see it. I don't see the need for it. I don't see the need to be speaking with someone to know how to get to get past, you know, oh, I've been struggling in my game. Uh, I need to talk to someone about how to do that. That's not a coach or that's, you know what I'm saying? Like from the mental side, I it just don't, it doesn't, it doesn't register with me. Pro I don't athletes know. are but, a but different that, beast though. I mean, like, I, you know, think about it. Like, you know, whether it's mental or it's physical, like, you know, Kobe Bryant used to go to a, a medical lab in Germany, so they would pull out his blood and mix it with plasma, right? Like, do the plasma treatments because he believed that it was going to give him an edge in the in the sport. So, you know, that's not mental, but, like, every, every player is going to want to take yeah, whatever advantage is. they they can. Yeah, but it is. What, cheating? No, but it's mental. Yeah. It's mental. Yeah. And- <laughs> I mean, seriously, it's mental. That's mental. That's completely mental. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just think that what it comes down to is that there are some people who can do something well and some people who can't do something well. And the be- the, the best at the, the best of the best are the ones that end up playing at the highest level. And sometimes there are guys who are, you know, not quite you know, the level that they need to be. And it doesn't mean that they're bad. It doesn't mean that they stink. It doesn't mean that they suck. It just means that, eh, they're not, Some people you know, are wired differently. I don't know. Yeah, but that don't. It doesn't make sense to me. I don't know. To you, it doesn't. To some, yeah. it might. Yeah, and I get it. I get it. I get it. But I don't. I don't know. I don't. 
look, I'm not sitting here saying, I'm not trying to make it sound like I'm being dismissive of mental health because I'm not. There are certainly people who need, you know, um, to, to, to speak with someone or to work with someone to, to deal with mental health issues. But I don't consider sports, unless you actually have a mental health issue, I don't consider sports a reason to need you know to, to to need to speak with someone about your your mental approach. You're in the if to get to the but in other words to get to the professional level of your sport in any sport to get to the top league in the world of your sport, you have to be good. Yeah, you're not you're right. I mean, you have sure. to be good. So you so you have have had to have been able to deal with. You know, shoots and ladders <laughs> throughout your career, from the time you were in youth sports through collegiate or junior sports, whatever sport we're talking about, to minor leagues to the professional level. I mean, you, you've had to deal with this, and you've succeeded at every level to you get to get to the top league in the world. So why now all of a sudden do you not? Well, are you not I mean, capable well, of it? I, well, I don't know. I, I feel like there's a debilitating pressure that could come with realizing that you've reached the pinnacle of, of what any player would hope to become, which is a professional player on, on one of few teams in you know con- what it's considered the best league in the world at your respective sport. Like, I think if you get to that kind of a, a place, there are you know a, a total different set of, of external factors that now kind of weigh on you. Like, I... I you know, if if you're playing inter- intramural hockey, you're not going to have that. Uh, you know, even if you're going through college, like, all right, there there might be some pressure, and maybe you speak to somebody about it. I mean, I think I I think I understand the the crux of your argument, but it does come off a little bit dismissive. Um, but I I think I know what you're getting at. I I don't look at this as tr- like again. I'm not I, trying yeah. to be. I'm not trying to be dismissive. Again, if someone. If there is a professional athlete who has, you know, real mental health concerns and they feel like they need to speak with a professional about their mental health concerns and in the process of those uh, discussions they talk about their job, which would be natural, to me that's totally fine. And I don't begrudge anyone that. But what I'm saying is, is if if you're not, if you don't, if you don't know, like it would be, it would be like... It, it would it would be no different, Russ, than you know. You, you're let's just say, for example, you've you've been doing this now. You're now covering the team. You've been doing it for a couple months. The last couple months, you're doing a great job. But then all of a sudden, um, you, you put out a report that's bad, mm-hmm. not right, not correct. I would never do that. Well, <laughs> just go with your, me for your a second. Hypothetical doesn't work. Yeah, just go with me for all a right, second. Okay, all right, okay, um, right. And then all of a sudden, you put out a bad report, and you get roasted for it social yeah. media fans kill you you know whatever blah, 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 blah. and it would be like at that point this very strong willed smart talented individual that you are would suddenly now have to go sp- speak to a professional because oh my god i screwed up one thing and everybody killed me for it and i don't know if i can do my job the right way again yeah well i i don't get it that's well like, again though i think that's why it, i th- I, I don't want to keep spinning our, our wheels in this part because I don't know how many people are, are going to – I don't know. I This this isn't quite like Sheets and Wawa. Um, but, <laughs> but no, 
I, I think it's just we're all wired differently. I mean, some people face adversity very differently. Like I remember when I started writing for the site and I, um, or like when, when we first started doing the flagship podcast for the network, like I remember getting a, a couple um, little bits of praise on Twitter and feeling like really good about it. And then somebody would come in with like a scorching hot, you know, takedown of, of something I said on the show. And at that point, when I first started, I was kind of like a distant third voice on the flagship show. Um, and I was deferring a lot. So I was like, wow, like for somebody to come at me so strongly about it, like that really throws you off. And like, I remember um, comment section on the, the website initially, I was like, oh my God, like if, if somebody, you know, killed me for something, I was like, oh my God, like, am I doing the right thing? Like, should I even be doing this? So, you know, it wasn't a thing where I like had to go talk to somebody about it, but like, I don't know, I, I guess I'm wired a little bit differently than some other people might be. Now, if somebody says something negative, like uh, it doesn't bother me at all. Maybe it should, but I don't know. I, I guess I think part of it also just depends on how much adversity you face to that point in your career in whatever thing you're doing. It doesn't have to be sports, but in this case, like, you know, if, if you've been the golden child going through your entire life and you haven't really faced much adversity, maybe you face some off, off ice or off court pressure or whatever, then, you know, that's its own set of things. But like, if you've had to bust it your entire career and now all of a sudden you've defied the odds, you've gotten to the pros and you've, I, I don't know, like put together a somewhat decent season and now you're in a slump. Like, I, I think those two people might, you know, approach this a little bit differently. The, the guy who's faced adversity before might be able to overcome it um, and might confide in friends. Like, I, I don't know. I, I feel like the sports psychologist role in this isn't necessarily, it's not to marginalize it and to say it's it's like a friend or a life coach. But, you know, I, I don't think you're looking to actually like diagnose somebody with an illness. So I, I get where your part of this argument is. But if it if it's somebody who's just is is trained on kind of focusing, you know, or getting a, a pro athlete to kind of focus back in on the task at hand, and to I don't know encourage them to coach them through letting the bad moments kind of slide off, then I, I think that's you know it's not a bad thing for somebody to go for that. And if if that's not your speed, then it doesn't have to be. It's I, I don't really know if it's my speed, but like you and I are also not professional athletes. If uh, if anybody has any question about that, they should come out to the Press Row show and uh, and come take a look at us. We are certainly not going to get confused as pro athletes, that is for sure. Um, but you know who was a pro athlete and is happily retired at this point, Anthony, is uh, a good friend of the show now. I think we can now call me a, a good friend of the show. That would be Flyers great Scott Hartnell. And so before we get into anything else... Uh, outside of fast food and uh, and sports psychology, uh, let's get to our exclusive interview with uh, Scott Hartnell. D- do you want to explain how this whole thing got set up and and when it it went down? Because we were uh, we were very lucky that day. I would yeah, say. no, it worked out really well, and I really want to thank Scott uh, for agreeing to do it, and then also um, to the Flyers for uh, for sneaking in some time um, in the middle of. Uh, a very busy schedule that they had for him. So they decided to have a Scott Hartnell retirement night on Thursday down at uh, at Wells Fargo. Um, and it really worked out well because uh, Hartnell's last – the other two teams that Hartnell played for besides the Flyers were the Nashville Predators, who was their opponent on Thursday, uh, and the Columbus Blue Jackets, uh, who were their opponent on Saturday. So it was kind of a cool thing to just say, Scott, you know, he who still lives in Columbus, him and his wife and, and son – um, why don't you come in? We'll bring you in on Wednesday. You stay through like a long weekend leading into Christmas, um, and you can just kind of hang out and um, you know see see your former teammates from two teams. They they happen to be back to back, so that's where they they set it up. 
and uh, and so yeah, so they had a Scott Hartnell night, and when when I had heard that they were going to do that, I knew that there was going to be a lot of things that they were going to have him do. So my thought was, well, let's see if Scott would be willing to do it. Doesn't have to. We don't have to record it Thursday. We can do it, you know, the day before when he gets in, or we can meet him on Friday. I knew he was going to be in for the whole weekend, or whatever the case might be. We could find a time over the course of those four days, whenever it would be available to him, uh, to record it. And uh, so, of course, Scott agreed, which was great. I mean, and, and I say at the beginning, you'll hear me talk about it at the very beginning of the uh, of the interview. He really ha- is one of the all timers as far as media player relations. I mean, the guy was always a always a good guy to talk to, always a good quote, always willing to talk to you. Understood what our role was and our job was, and and what his role was in in return. Um, and, and really was a, a well-liked guy in the locker room, so he had a good feel for what that room was like. So um, he, when he agreed to do it, it was, he said, yeah, let's do it Thursday while I'm down there. So it's like, okay, let's see what their schedule's like. And his schedule was packed. I mean, they had a lot of things for him to do. Um, and I got to thank Shannon Bowes from the Flyers, who was uh, basically handling you know all of the stuff that he was doing that night. And she said to me, are you guys comfortable recording uh, once the game begins? Because she says, I have a 15-minute window <laughs> between right after puck drop. So, of course, I, I talked to you, and you were cool with it, and we went down. And, and so we set up in the, um, uh, the NBA visiting team's locker room, which is right across from the Flyers locker room. Um, he went out onto the ice and did his uh, did a puck dro- did the puck drop, uh, and then came back in and he had somewhere else he had to be upstairs, uh, but before he had to go up to do I think he had to do a, actually a media availability as a matter of fact, um, he came in and sat down with you and me for for a good uh, a good interview which was kind of cool, and we just talked about some some things some memories and and the like and uh, you know if we had more time with him <laughs> we would uh, we would have been able to get even even great uh, more great stuff from him. Um, but we could say, you know, I could, one of the things we didn't really dive into in great detail, um, I do ask him about it at the very end quickly. Um, Scott's moving back to the area. Uh, his wife's actually from um, Bucks County, uh, and her family's still up that way. As a matter of fact, the weird thing is, is even though she's from here, she didn't meet him until he was in Columbus, which is crazy. That's weird. Yeah, yeah I know, wow. right? Um, and uh, and uh, so they, they now have this, uh, a son, Wesley. Um, oh, what a cute kid! Really adorable, really adorable son. Um, and uh, he's moving back to the area. He's doing a little bit of work for the NHL Network right now. And uh, son- on Sunday night, if people watch the game against the Rangers, he was doing a little pre and post game show. Um, he was good for, at it. for NBC Sports and did a nice job. So uh, I have a feeling we're going to be seeing a lot more of Scott Hartnell around, uh, maybe on TV, uh, doing some doing some uh, analysis. Uh, of Flyers games uh, in the in the near future. So, well, without further ado, I guess uh, let's jump right into uh, Russ and I meeting with Scott Hartnell Thursday night at the Wells Fargo Center. Now, Russ, I know that you're like a, a fanboy, right? I mean, you grew up here. You were 17 years old when Scott Hartnell came to the Philadelphia Flyers, so you're a little bit of a fanboy. Thanks for aging me on that. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> but in my 19 years of covering this team, I, Scotty is one of the top ten guys in that locker room to ever talk to, and so I'm really thrilled to have him on the Snow the Goalie podcast. I think it's one of the one of the best guests we've ever had. We've had 
general managers. We've had other players. This is one of the one of the best ones. So, Scotty, I really do appreciate. Thank you. Time. Appreciate the kind words. Yeah, yeah. It's great to have you back. First, I guess, what's it like for you to come back here, retirement night, and uh, to be treated like this by the team and uh, in front of these fans? <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, you know, shocked and honored. To, uh, you know, when Mr. Holmgren called me and uh, said they're going to honor me and you know have a suite for my family and things like that, and you know, just seeing uh, the video tribute, I guess, uh, before the puck drop. Uh, uh, just so many good memories, so many good times. Uh, obviously, this was kind of the prime of my career, the seven years. So, uh, you know, just excited to call this home and uh, just loved being a flyer when I was here. When, when you look back, I mean, there were so many great memories with your in your time here. I, I would assume that 2010 has to be the one that sticks out the most for you, right? Yeah, you know, even our first year here. Uh, That's right, in, in conference finals. Yeah, right? yeah, went to the conference finals. In Nashville, we didn't win a playoff series, and it was uh, – um, wow, this is fun to win, actually, right? And, and obviously, 2010, that whole ride with my family and, uh, you know, playing so well. And, and obviously, uh, it hurt not, uh, you know, finishing first, but um, it is what it is. But uh, just right down through all my seven years here, it's just been amazing. When you look back um, at when you came here, the Flyers really took a gamble. They traded a draft pick for the rights to talk to you in chemo, and you guys could have just said, eh. Yeah, we'll, we'll go into free agency, thanks. What was it about the team and, and the pitch that they came to you to say, you know what, I'll give up the opportunity to go to free agency to sign with this organization? Well, number one, I think it was just uh, Homer's honesty. Uh, you know, he wanted us, he picked us out of, out of uh, you know, uh, numerous free agents, I guess. And, um, you know, he was giving us the speech. I ended up signing first. I was obviously talking to Kimo. He's one of my best friends. And, you know, after I signed, I'm like, hey, Kimo, you got to sign here. It's awesome. Like, uh, we got a good team, you know. So I was giving him the pitch as well. And, right. you know, they end up coming to terms with him as well. But, um, you know, look, going back, if I could go back, I would do the exact same thing. And, um, you know, Homer did exactly what he was saying. He was bringing in a, another big centerman. He was uh, going to make some trades, which he did. He brought in Lupul and, and uh, Jason Smith. So uh, right from the get-go, he, he was very honest, very upfront. Uh, if you weren't playing well, you, you got a kick in the butt. And uh, if you were, you, you know, obviously he wasn't there praising you, but you knew you were doing your job right. So it was just uh, an amazing, uh, amazing time. And, and like I said, just loved, uh, loved my years here. I want to ask you from from the fans' perspective. So Anthony's right. Like I'm I'm young. So back in 2010, I mean, fans hadn't given up on the team in the Boston series, but there was certainly that doubt that was kind of creeping in. And you know, we've heard before that players on that team really did believe. I mean, it always seems cliche to say, well, you got to take it a game at a time. But was there ever any doubt? I, I mean, in in that Boston series, you fall behind three nothing. Is there ever a moment where you go, man, I I don't know about this one, or, or was it? That well, the first the first game was brutal. I think they they killed us on the score sheet, uh, every aspect of the game. The, the second game we got a little bit better. I think unlucky. The third game we played unreal and still couldn't win. We're like, boys, like let's just get one. Let's stick with it. Uh, we played so good game four. I think they tied it up with uh, I don't know under a minute left. Uh, Recky tied it up and and we're like, oh man, here we go. But we got that overtime win. You know, went in there, smoked them, came back here, smoked them, and then uh, you know game seven, even down three nothing. Uh, first five minutes of the game, we uh, we still believed and. Uh, it was just pretty, pretty special time. It, you know, it almost felt like we won the Stanley Cup that time because we were like, "Well, oh, we're moving on." And uh, Pittsburgh lost to Montreal, so we played the the Canadians, and we knew knew we were going to whoop them. But um, it was just uh, that that whole series, that Boston series, was incredible. You, you can you know how special it is. You can see that he can just like that at the snap of the finger. Oh, yeah, recall almost, every moment every, of every game. Almost right? every game, yeah. yeah. And and uh, you know, certain plays of certain games, and you know, Krejci uh, got a big hit by Richards there in Game Four, three or four, and. and and broke his hand. And he was out for the series, and he was 
they're probably their best player that was killing us that series. So uh, very vivid memories for sure, uh, just about that time in particular. One of the things that I always appreciated about your game, I mean, you took hockey seriously, but you never took yourself seriously. So, like, you like, like to have fun when you were out there. And, like, I think of the one thing I think of that I think most fans think of is your interaction with the uh, Pittsburgh Hulk Hogan fan. And can you just talk about, not necessarily about that specific moment in general, but just the fact that how much you used to, like, you got it. You understood what this was about, that this was entertainment as much as it was yeah, a job, right? I, I think uh, I think if you ask anyone who does their job, uh, they got to enjoy what they do, right? And I really enjoyed being a hockey player and, and all that comes with it. You know, you sign autographs. It was cool that someone wanted my autograph. Uh, um, you know, walking down the street, someone says hi. It's like, oh, hey, what's up? Uh, you know, but playing too it was, uh, you know, the pucks in the corner, me versus you. Game face is on. I'm going to come out of that, that corner with the puck. So, uh, but you know, after the game, you can sit and have a beer with the guy that you just kind of fought with or whatever, right? So it, it's uh, uh, every little thing was was fun. You got to have fun in life. That's kind of been, I guess, how I grew up, and um, you know, and that's kind of what I'll preach to my son, that, you know, going forward here too. You were also very big with charity. Still are, I think, in a lot of ways. I mean, I, I know uh, you took used to have that event back home in Saskatchewan yep. uh, every summer. I think you still you still run that program. Uh, we right? did. No, we did that uh, a few years. We we had a uh, charity golf tournament, oh, and okay, we raised yeah. like two hundred thousand dollars a year for uh, the local uh, um, hospital and and other uh, charities in Lloyd, which is pretty cool for uh, for a small town about twenty thousand people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so that's always just been something that's really special yeah, it's, to you, right? To, to, to give back in a lot of yeah, ways. Yeah, to give back, you know, it's, it takes, you know, a few hours of your time or, you know, a day to do a golf tournament and uh, just the, the buzz that, you know, especially in Canada, you know, around Philadelphia, people would die to meet you, you know what I mean? So it, it's pretty cool to be able to, to do that, you know, and every, you know, every Christmas time the, the Flyers would go to uh, uh, the Children's Hospital and, and meet sick kids and their families and, you know, hang in there, push through it, that kind of stuff. And it was a, a day that we always uh, look forward to, uh, to doing. There, uh, in the past, we've, we've asked players, so I, I want you to go back through your entire career. This can be all the way from junior all the way up through the pros. A favorite arena to play in, uh, it, it doesn't have to be like the biggest one, but did you have a favorite place to play in your career, and what was your best moment, your best memory playing at any point in your career? Well, probably, well, I'll answer the second one first. The best moment was probably just that whole finals experience. Uh, you know, my family was traveling to watch the games, and yeah, you know, going to Chicago in the Madhouse, and it was just... Uh, uh, we didn't win a game there, but just just an incredible experience. So that could be the number one building as well. But I'll go with uh, Montreal, uh, the Bell Center, um, especially in playoffs when we played them a couple years in the playoffs. Uh, the right after the warmups, the kids would come on and uh, they'd sing to that or skate around. Uh, to the song "Fix You" by Coldplay, and then they'd put the flag in the in the ice, and it's just the the music and uh, the energy in that building is phenomenal. And you just had like not jitters, but just like your body was just shaken with excitement. So that's uh, for sure, uh, you know, a few of the coolest games that I've that I've played. Final question, because I know you got to go. I'm getting the, I was getting the evil eye from Shannon there for just, <laughs> just a second. No, but um, you spent seven years as a player here, but you also spent seven years in Nashville. You're, you still technically live in Columbus, but rumor has it that you're moving back to the area. Yeah. What brings what brings you back to Philly? Why here? And what's and the second part of the question is, what's next for for you? Uh, well, family's a big uh, part of my life, and my wife's family, extended family, is around, and you know it's nice to uh, grow up around grandparents, and uh, her sister has a couple uh, young kids as well, so. 
Um, you know, family would be probably the biggest thing. All my family spread out all over the place. Um, and as for going forward, I don't know a lot. I'm enjoying retirement right now, so let's <laughs> say. So I don't know if it'll be a year or two before I get the itch to, to kind of jump out there and do something. But uh, we'll see what happens. Great. Scott Hartnell, thanks for joining us on the Snow the Gold Pre- podcast. All the, all the best to you down the road. Appreciate it. Thank you. And that, ladies and gentlemen, was, of course, Flyers great Scott Hartnell. Really fun interview, Anthony. Really, really good stuff. Yeah, yeah. He's he's really just a lot of fun. I mean, just a great guy. I'm, I'm really excited that he's going to be back in the area. Like, I think that it was um, – I think he's going to be uh, pretty involved. We're we're gonna we're gonna see a lot of Scotty, and that's and that's a good thing, because um, he he was one of the good guys, really one of the good guys for this organization in this uh, in the past decade, and um, fans are gonna be happy that that he's back around. Well, speaking of seeing Scott Hartnell, they uh, the video for that interview uh, that that we did, uh, CrossingBroad.com has now hired a uh, a full time I guess full time video guy who yeah. uh, is supposed to accompany us to uh, to interviews that we're gonna be doing with. Uh, at least one or two other people. I, you know what? Since we're on the topic of uh, of videos, and you know, at some point on the website, I'm sure the the video of us uh, with Hartnell will go live. So make sure you check that out. And I think it'll be going up on a bunch of the uh, the different crossing broad social media platforms. I think they were talking about doing like Twitter and Instagram, probably Facebook somewhere on there. Um, I, I think we need to address an elephant in the room. We had been teasing for a while that there were uh, there was one maybe two guests that were lined up for Snow the goalie and. Uh, do we do we pour one out in this moment? Do you want to reveal? So one of them, of the, some of the news. Yeah. So one of them was uh, one the one person who had agreed to do the interview, which now is not going to happen, uh, was Dave Hackstall. Um, and it was funny because if if you go back, Hack had originally agreed to do it. It was before the. It was, what, I think it was end of November, beginning of December. At the yeah. Latest. It was. It was. It was before. Oh no! I know when it was. It was before. Hextall was fired. Yeah. And so he had agreed to do it, but had told the PR guy, um, hey, we need to just hold, ask them if they can just hold off because, of, you know, of what's going on, blah, blah, blah. And then they course, were, yeah, they had lost like back to back games or it was, right. they had lost three in a row or something. He wanted, yeah. he wanted us to, to interview him in the midst of not a losing streak. Not a losing streak. And then, of course, Hextall gets fired, which made it crazy. Um, and so then I had, double checked in again to say hey now you know even though this is all happening does this change anything and uh the flyers con- you know confirmed with Hackstall again and Hackstall said yes he would do it as soon as they came back from the road trip so we were like oh this is perfect uh, and so we had somebody else uh, uh well we have a couple other names that are uh, in the hopper for interviews um and so we had set up a, a situation where Hackstall and another um uh, Flyers organization member would record on the same day. So we would have gone over to Skate Zone and recorded uh, both interviews at the same at the same time. Well, not at the, not at the same time, but the same you know, day, same day, and then use them for two different um, podcasts. So they come back. They come back, of course, from the West Coast trip, and Hackstall gets fired. So we lose <laughs> Dave Hackstall uh, as a guest. So it was nice to get the Scott Hartnell one to kind of you know stem the tide between now and uh and the next interview we still have a couple more in the hopper and i will tell you that uh our next one uh, will be with a player so we will have uh, a member of the team uh, that we've already put in to be honest we didn't even officially put in a request we just kind of 
suggested it as a, as an idea, and then uh, Zach Hill, the Flyers PR guy, the best one of the best PR people in, in all of sports, uh, wins the Dillman Award multiple times as uh, not just him. I mean, Joe Seville and Brian Smith as well. They're the entire PR team um, has won the Dillman Award, but. Just we were just having a conversation about the potential of of asking for this player, and uh, and Zach got back to us and said, I "Already talked to him. He's in. Just let us give us a day, and we'll do it." So now, people of uh, people of Snow the goalie, uh, make sure you uh, tell uh, tell Anthony and I on Twitter who you think that player is going to be. I will. Yeah. Uh, I'll be more than excited to uh, to read those responses. I, I'm actually kind of excited to have because it's it's. I think it's going to be a little bit of a surprise. Don't give too much. No, I don't, don't want to give. give I'm not, I don't want to give away I, any. It's going to be details. a really good interview. But I think it's going to be. Well, I know it's going to be a great interview because I know that the guy is a great talker. Yes. So I so that much guarantees that we're going to have a good interview. Um, but I I think it's going to be I think it's going to be how it's going to be received. I think it's going to be I think it's going to be really well received. Let's put it that way. I do too. I think yeah. it's going to be a lot of fun. So yeah, it'll be fun. So while we lost Dave Haxtall, which is, uh, you know, a real bummer, I, I had a lot of very good questions lined up for me. I was actually proud of some of the questions I came up with, and now now they're gone. Um, but I don't we, know. Maybe we have, know, maybe, we have put at in some a, point. We have also it, put in a request for Scott Gordon, just so, you, just so everybody knows, um, yeah. so to, to replace Haxtall. So we just haven't heard officially yet from uh, if Scott has accepted that. I'm sure he will. Because that's something we need to talk about. We might as well use that as the transition here, Russ. I wasn't going to make it so uh, so in your face of a transition, but yes. <laughs> so don't pull so back the, th- don't pull back the curtain on how, no. we, how on how we do transitions on this show, Anthony. So, Jeez, so the on. one thing the one thing that I can say about Scott Gordon that is completely different than Dave Haxtall is Scott Gordon will give you the most detailed, like well thought out honest answers you will ever get and 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 Haxtell was great recall he does have great recall and Haxtell was better this year than he had been in his previous three there I will give him that much uh credit because his first three years he gave you nothing I mean zero it was almost worthless to go to that press conference with him this year he started to give you a little bit more and I kind of liked that I was and I wrote it a few times like I kind of liked the this new approach that Haxtell has even but even still even though he was giving you more he was he would still stop himself at a point not Scott Gordon well look I think we uh I think we played a good hockey game out there today and uh (laughs) you know I played a good good 20 minutes in the first uh, second period you know just got away from us a little bit there and uh but you know I I I think we're getting close and I think uh I think we got a lot of guys playing some good hockey. Yeah, okay. but we just haven't put sixty minutes together. Let's not put the let's not put people to sleep. <laughs> They're tired of it too. But so I'll give you an example, Russ. How about it the other night, Thursday night, when I asked him about Travis Sanheim? Oh, right, he had the quote of the year. That was I think, unbelievable. I think it was, a, I think it was a quote of the year. It was unbelievable. He said when he first was coaching Travis in the AHL, he was doing everything he could to keep both teams in the game. <laughs> So and good. that was unbelievable. So Basically, good. saying that Sam Sanheim was so good offensively that he would help the Phantoms offensively, but he was so bad defensively that he was helping the other team. I mean, you don't normally get that from a coach, right? And nope. and he was being 
it's not like he was trying to disparage Travis Sanheim at all because he, the, the rest of the the rest of the quote, which was about a four minute answer, by the way, um, went on to talk about how he's developed and how he's gotten better and how he's earned this kind of promotion to get more time and play on the top pair with Ivan Provorov and uh, be an all situations kind of defenseman. So it, it was really kind of a, talking about his progression. So it was very positive response. But the the thing that I really in, enjoy about him is that he's willing to say to you, yeah, this is where we were with him, and this is where he's gotten to now, and it's all been because of how we've handled it and how he's grown over the course of the last, you know, 18 months. And I think that that's a great thing to kind of sit there and and acknowledge that, guess what, there was a time when it wasn't great for him. And now is a time when it's really good for him. So I think that I think that when you have a coach who's that open and honest with you, you're going to get really. And I think it's he's fair. He's fair. He's not sitting there saying things just to blow smoke either. He's he's very fair. So I, look, it's only been four games. He's three and one. He's still an interim coach, and he's still probably going to be the interim coach through the remainder of this season. And, and that's probably about it. But I'll tell you what, it's going to be a lot more refreshing to have interviews with him after games than it was with Dave Haxtell. And I will say, I think one of the things that's really, that stands out, you know, with Scott Gordon is for as honest as he is and for as open as he is and, and as much as he'll drill down on answers after games, you know, some people would look at that and say, oh, okay, well, it's his first rodeo and it's not, you know, you have to remember he was, he was a head coach in this league before with the Islanders and there's there's just like a a level of transparency that that he's brought to the position and and to his thought process and to you know the the thought process of the players uh, on any given play that that really is refreshing and I know that before we came on you know you were comparing him to Brett Brown yeah and uh, and and I see that parallel but I think the thing that's a little bit different is you know one of the things that Brett Brown had had gotten you know a, a ton of praise for in the off season was um, right after Brian Colangelo had you know, pretty much gotten forced out because of the, uh, the burner account scandal. Um, you know, Brett Brown came out and some of the answers that he was giving in terms of, you know, being the, the head decision maker on basketball operations, you know, a lot of people kind of just chalk that up to, he had never been in that position before. So he didn't know any better. So he was maybe a little bit too honest, maybe a little bit too forthcoming in the case of Scott Gordon. Like I said, like it, it's not his first time doing it. It's just yeah. the way, it's just the way that he, he handles himself. But the and, comparison, and the comparison so I was, nice. I'm going to stop really you for is. a second, though, Russ, because the comparison I was making wasn't necessarily to Brett Brown today, but more so Brett Brown when we first got him. Okay. Right? Brett Brown came in with a bad, bad team, like he was put into a bad spot and was asked to coach this group of, of Drek. Now, the Flyers are, are a little bit better than the Sixers were when Brett Brown took over the Sixers, um, but it was it's the same concept, right? I mean, it was the same kind of thing. That you're going with a guy who's been around the league. Now, Brett Brown had never been a head coach before, but Scott Gordon had. But Gordon's tenure in New York was very short, um, and but he had been in the league for a while as an assistant before that, and et cetera, et cetera. So, so you have a, a very similar thing. They come from the same uh, relative area uh, up in Massachusetts. They sound alike. They um, and they're very you know open and honest with you. And I think that that's that's a good thing and it's it's very disarming and, and what i mean by that is that if you, if your team's going to have a bad game right 
and you know that the media is going to be coming at you with a bunch of you know real hard questions. If you give them a couple of like lengthy, honest answers early, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna take the poison out of their pen. Bingo. Right. Yep. I mean that's what 100%. that's what you're doing. Yeah. And so like I think it's a very smart approach by Scott Gordon, and it's something that not a lot of people figure out how to do in professional sports, especially coaches. Um, but he certainly he certainly has it. He's certainly got that that style. And so that's. Uh, that's a good thing. Yeah. I, one of the questions I think I, yeah, I asked him on Tuesday, I think it was the last or next to last question in the, the press conference was just, uh, Sanheim had come up a bunch of times and, and obviously it was Carter Hart's first game. And I, I had asked him if, um, you know, he felt as, as if he kind of had to bear some of the responsibility of, of kind of being like a, a pillar of consistency for guys like Sanheim, for Carter Hart, for some of these other younger players that have worked their way up through the organization and specifically guys that he had coached in the Phantoms just to kind of give them some kind of, of stability, especially with all of the, the flux, the organizational, you know, flux that had gone on because of the firing of Hextall and Hextall. And he kind of, he kind of said, yeah, but then he also gave that, that really great nugget about the fact that um, when he was first named interim coach, the first guy to call him or one of the first guys to call him was Dave Hextall. Yeah, which was really interesting, and he was like, "I don't think I told anybody this, but." And then he he kind of went on 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 that, but you know, I I think there there's a real refreshing level of honesty here, and I think that fans have, you know, I, I don't think fans are going out of their way to say how much they love Gordon because I think, you know, it's just like anything else. You, I think there's that large chunk of the fan base that that had hoped that the initial report that Haxall had been fired and, and Quenville was waiting in the wings and was, you know, about to come in. I think that group, you know, found themselves a little bit frustrated, confused, um, misled in a, in a sense that it didn't work out the way that they expected it to. And so they're like, well, who's this Scott Gordon guy? And then you look back at his record with the Islanders and you're not totally sold on it. Um, but then you, you look at, at what he did at the AHL level and especially what he had done, you know, in, in terms of, you know, working with a penalty kill. And then you see how, how that's been working out for the flyers in this short tenure. Like the, the PK in a lot of ways looks a lot better. And that would have been a thing that, that you and I had talked about, you know, maybe if, if the PK hadn't gotten better and Dave Haxall still had his job, that there might've been the possibility of, you know, moving on from Ian LaPerriere. And, and, you know, you had mentioned before that there was a possibility that Scott Gordon could have been brought up specifically to run the PK. And that part of the, the team looks better. The, the power play still looks pretty awful um and, and maybe that'll change over time but yeah I, I think it's a, it's been a very positive first week here from Scott Gordon and and you know I, I don't know what the feeling was I, I talked to another writer who you know I, I think focuses a lot more on the phantoms than obviously I do and, and probably you do and he just said that the the way that the the players um at, at the phantoms had viewed Gordon was he wasn't the most warm and fuzzy guy, but he was a guy that ultimately you respected and could provide you an answer of why you were doing something. And those guys felt like they were getting better. Now, whether they wanted to send him a Christmas card, you know, might've been a different thing, but they had respect for him and they recognized the fact that he was helping them develop as, as professionals. So I think that's a really, a really tough balance, a a tough tightrope to have to walk, but it it seems like he's done it well. And you look at some of these guys now that have, that have come up in, in recent times, you know, I specifically look at Travis Sanheim 
And I say, man, like there's been a lot of development that's gone on and there was clearly a lot of development that, that, you know, was done, you know, in, in part by Scott Gordon. And now you look at it and, and the way that, that Sandheim is now being, impl- you know, implemented into the system and, and integrated into a, a larger role going up against um, the other team's top line or second line. And, and that wasn't something that we had seen earlier in the season. And, and I think, you know what, like maybe this is the stabilizing force that they need for the rest of the year. I know that people still want to see Quenville come in, but I'm not so sure that that sticking with Scott Gordon isn't the the best idea right now. Like I, I could see a lot of merit in, in hanging on to him in this situation and, and letting the season ride out. Yeah, well, I mean, more so, more so than anything else is that you've had enough change. Yeah, <laughs> like keep continuing to change doesn't isn't going to make things any better. Um, so I I don't disagree with you. I think Scott Gordon should probably just be the guy you ride out for the remainder of the season. And if he has success, great. If he doesn't, that's okay too because you're going to probably go in a new direction in the spring anyway. Um, uh, two other things that we got to get to before we uh, start to wrap up the show. One that I, I want to kind of talk about a little bit. I'm a little, a little concerned about Ivan Provorov at this point. Um, another turnover tonight. Well, tonight, Sunday. We're recording Sunday night. Um, another turnover in the Rangers game um, that led to the Rangers' first goal. And, you know, just continue. He had a turnover that led to the first goal against Columbus. Just, just not I, – I never thought it would last this long. Russ, I never thought that his struggles would go 34 games into the season, and yet it is. I almost and wish we would just find out that there's an injury that he's trying to play through. Yeah, but he, and that's he, the explanation, but that hasn't been a thing. No, I don't think there, he is hurt. There haven't been whispers about it. There, There isn't no. anybody dropping any kind of, you know, don't report this kind of secrecy. Like, there, there's nothing. It, It's just the, the – he's like – he's just totally fallen off a cliff. Yeah. Now you yeah, are not, not saying that he needs to go talk to Carter Hart's sports psychologist, but uh, but no, no seriously, the, like his drop off in play has just been the one thing that I that I wonder, and it was someone asked. I think it was, I think it was Mike Sealski. I don't want to say with a hundred percent certainty, but I kind I was in the scrum um, with uh, Paul Holmgren when they fired Hextall, and. They were talking about a bunch of different things. I think it was Sielski who asked about Provorov and asking that if he, f- because they were talking about contracts and, you know, Hextall would, you know, with Simmons and with Provorov. And I guess the question, the follow up question might have been is the fact that Ivan Provorov doesn't have a contract extension kind of weighing on him and affecting his play this year? And Holmgren's initial response was, no, 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 it can't be that. But then he kind of backtracked that answer and said, well, if it is, it shouldn't be. And it made you, made you think that maybe they feel that that's a possibility, that he's worried too much about what his new contract's going to be, and that he's letting that affect the way he's playing. Well, and, and the fact that Hextall said that they weren't even remotely close in that negotiation going yeah. into the season probably would you would think would weigh even more on him and and then knowing that every game that he goes out and plays poorly he's costing himself potentially yeah costing himself money though in fairness like when when you know what Provorov can be and what he projects to be 
you'd also have to think that from his agent's standpoint, like you're not going to take this massive, you know, pay hit, but you are in, in the midst of a negotiation and he certainly hasn't played himself into, you know, a, a bigger deal at this point. Right. Right. I, I it is strange. It, it's, it, it's weird because it was like, it was him and it was ghost and ghost, ghost still ghost still is not good either, but I, I'm, I'm kind of okay with ghost not being good because to be honest, I never thought he was going to be much more than what he really is. The only thing that, I, that my concern with Ghost is is that his he's not getting shots on goal, um, and I think that that's been a negative for the power play. Yep. Um, and it's also been a negative for his offensive game, which is which is taking a big dip. But he's never been a good defensive defenseman. So like I never anticipated that all of a sudden he would suddenly become this <laughs> stalwart on the blue line because he's not going to be, and he's never going to be. So. To see him struggling doesn't bother me as much because I kind of anticipate that that's what he's going to do. Defense, he's going to turn the puck over. He's going to lose fifty-fifty battles on the wall. You know, he's not that. His strength is he can skate, he can carry the puck, he can make a nice first pass, and he can get up ice and join the rush and score goals and or set up goals. That's what that's what I like about Ghost. I never expect him to be a good defensive defenseman. So when he's making mistakes on his own end. I just chalk it up to, hey, that's something you live with if he's scoring on the offensive side. Well, remember, but, on, on Thursday's Press Row show, I did say that the reason that Travis Sanheim was being paired with Ivan Provorov is because Travis Sanheim is already a better player than Shane Gostaspair. Because well, I, I wanted to throw I out mean, a hot th- take. Th- this, and and this right season, now, it, it actually is true. This season, it's true. There's, it's absolutely true this season. And it might ultimately be the case, to be honest with you. Um I don't know if we can if we can justify it, you know, long term just yet. But I think that you're on the right path. I don't think it's a hot take at all. Well, look at look at Sunday's overtime. You know, Sanheim goes out to start with Jake and G. They run a set play. No, no, it's, it wasn't. That wasn't Sanheim. No, no, I said Ghost. Did I say Sanheim? Was, I meant Ghost. You did say, yeah, Ghost. Ghost, Ghost yeah. goes out with uh, with Jake and G. They run a set play. It's you know whatever. It's it's a mixed bag. I sit there and I say, why is Ghost up there? Like, I know that the three of the those three guys in the past have had a lot of success in three on three overtime. Like, I get it. But Ghost's play recently is not a confident player. And as you mentioned, and as we've talked about a bunch of times on both Snow the Goalie and the Press Row Show, which you can find on Anthony's Twitter and Periscope on uh, at Ansan Philly and on the Crossing Broad Facebook page, um, we, we've talked a lot about the fact that, you know, Ghost isn't putting pucks on, on net at a you know, a frequent enough rate to, that, you know, he ends up being that, I don't know, that well-rounded offensive player that we've grown accustomed to seeing. And then I look over at Travis Sanheim and I'm thinking to myself, I know that Sanheim might not have the same kind of chemistry with G and with, with Jake, but he right now is a better player. He's a bigger threat in a lot of ways. And then what was it? Halfway through the overtime, Sanheim ends up, you know, hustling down into the, uh, the Rangers zone, beats his guy, to the boards, uh, cuts back and actually gets a, a decent shot that Lundqvist is certainly uncomfortable on and falls back on to. I, I think he generated more offense in that one, you know, individual rush than Sanheim did in, in the majority of that overtime. So I don't know. I, I think it's a, a really tough spot to be in. Again, it's, it's great to see a guy like Travis Sanheim flourishing in the role that he's been put into. And again, as I've said multiple times now, I will credit Dave Hackstall with that very gradual integration into this kind of role and building confidence so that now he is this confident player. I don't think if you put him there in this role to start the season that we'd be seeing this quite this level of success from Travis Sanheim. There's no way to know for sure. It's just a guess. Um, 
But I, I don't I don't know. I feel like Travis Sanheim right now is is what we expected of Ghost, and Ghost is what we might have expected in a you know in a second second year here from Travis Sanheim. It's weird. They've switched bodies, they've switched roles, all the while. Probably the team's best defenseman or or best perceived defenseman coming into the season looks like you know a second pair or third pair defenseman in Ivan Provorov. It's it's been a weird year. Yeah. The other thing. Um... And this is nothing new uh, in the se- in one sense, but it is something new in another. Um, you know, we've talked about, I've written about it, but uh, I don't want to make it seem like we're the only people who've talked about it. It's been kind of everywhere. Um, that th- uh, Chuck Fletcher's first um, target is going to be getting the Flyers another goalie. And it's certainly something that, um, he's been looking around the league. Um, I had heard several names um, being being discussed. Uh, Corey Crawford in Chicago, who's out with a concussion. Um, um, uh, Anderson, Craig Anderson in Ottawa. Um, and Jonathan Quick uh, in Los Angeles. And we kind of dismissed Jonathan Quick as as a real option um, because of his contract and how much you know how much he's being paid and how much more term is left on it. Then a report comes out um, on uh, Saturday that from uh, Canada, from Nick Kiprios at Sportsnet. And I'll tell you what, Nick Kiprios doesn't always put out good stuff, but he's usually locked in with the Flyers for some reason. He's got somebody at the Flyers who gives him good information. And his report is that the Flyers have spoken at length with the LA Kings uh, about Jonathan Quick. And here's his quote. There is some link between Quick and the Flyers. I don't think they're in contract talks, which is weird, a weird way of saying it because I don't know why you would say contract talks. But we believe there's been a conversation. In saying that, I wouldn't be surprised if those links start heating up in the new year. There's no doubt that despite Carter Hart's early success here, that Chuck Fletcher's preference is to have Hart playing in the AHL and bringing in another goalie to play for the Flyers at the NHL level. Keep in mind that Brian Elliott may have to, you know, may need to get surgery again. They're going to try and make it that he doesn't. Hope he comes back after the new year. I think that there's still that possibility. I don't think that they think much of Anthony Stolarz or Alex Lyon as far as you know, real uh, anything more than stop gaps. Um, Michael Neuver had a really nice game against the Rangers. Played out of his mind, really. Played a really strong game in net. And in the hour and a half since uh, he came off the ice, <laughs> he's probably torn two tendons in his ankles. <laughs> right. So. so that's the concern with him. So I I really take stock in what Kiprios is saying, and I and and that's fine. I mean, I don't dislike Jonathan Quick. He's another injury prone goalie. Um, he's been hurt a lot. That's the crux of this whole thing. Yeah. Not to not to interrupt well, you, no. but like that—that's the whole thing. It's in. Well, it's it, but it's goal. not. It's not the crux because the really the crux of it is the real crux of it is he's thirty-two. He'll be thirty-three in January, and he signed for four more years at five point eight million per year. Yep. So you now have to pay him till he's thirty-seven and almost six million dollars a year, and you have. Carter Hart at some point. Now, is are you willing to pay five point eight million for a backup goalie for 
two to three years. I don't know if you, uh, if you are, then I guess that that's okay. Um, but if you know, I don't I don't know what the what the mo is to to take on that salary and that contract. Like, I think you can do better than that. And that's not a knock on Jonathan Quick. He's fine. If he's healthy, he's fine. Um, he's won two Stanley Cups, so the guy knows how to play. Um, but I, I just don't I don't understand why you would take on that contract for that length of time if you have a guy who is 20 years old right now who you think within a year or two can be your everyday guy. Well, so it doesn't make sense to me. Well, George Santayana was the one who once said, those who do not learn history are doomed to repeat it. And this is uh, perfectly setting up to be Sergei Bobrovsky, Ilya Brizgalov 2.0. The problem is that you're not getting a guy who could legitimately be named, maybe at the time, one of the top five goalies in the league. And I think a lot of that has to do with his age and has to do with the injury history. Um, Jonathan Quick would be a, a nice stopgap here if he only had two or three years on that contract. But yeah, you're right. Like five, you know, five years, four after this year. It's a, it's a heck of a term to take on. The $6 million doesn't really scare me that much. If you look at the Flyers' you know cap projections for the next few years, going into next year, they're projected at, by um, cap-friendly at um, $31 million. They only have uh, six guys under contract, or eight, no, 18 guys under contract uh, for 2020, 2021. They're projected to have about $45 million in cap space right now. So, like... When you start to look at how do you build out a team long term and and how bad is five point eight million going to really look, well, it I, I, you know it really does depend. If you acquire Jonathan Quick this year and you can ride him to you know I don't know into the yeah. playoffs, then then you know maybe he come he becomes more of a marketable commodity. Maybe next year around the trade deadline, you're able to pawn him off if you yeah. think Carter Hart's ready. Yeah, but you, you might have thirty one million in cap space available next going into next season. You, you have. Scott Lawton is an RFA. You got to pay him. You got Travis Konechny as an RFA. You got to pay him. You've got Provorov and Sanheim both as RFAs. You got to pay them. I mean, that's four contracts right there that are going to eat into that, right? Yeah. I mean, automatically going to eat into that. So, I don't know. Like, and then you you know, then you have you're going to add players. You're going to add. So like so if you're adding a 6 million dollar contract for basically a backup goalie because that's what it's going to be. Like I don't I don't understand. Like that's a lot of money for a guy who's not going to be the number one guy. I guess it also depends on the assets that you're going to have to trade away. Well, you're not I don't think it's going to cost much. I think the Kings Kings are in cap hell a little bit. And so they would be th- you know thrilled to get rid of a contract like that off their books. So I I don't think it's expensive to get him. So that so that you know that's not my concern. It's more of putting it onto your cap. Yeah, it's that a shame that me. it's a shame that Corey Crawford got hurt when he did because that would have been, I think, a, a much more attractive trade target. But that's just me. Yeah, uh, we had some questions on Twitter. We can hit a few of those before we head out, and of course, we have uh, two iTunes reviews that we want to get to. So uh, let's take a real quick look. Um, Chris Nappy on Twitter says, hi guys, who are the veterans, uh, Fletcher is actually actively trying to trade for and who are the prospects that appear to be untouchable? Thanks and Merry Christmas. Well, Merry Christmas to you, Chris. Uh, Merry Christmas. There we go. Dad joke. Ooh. And the, uh, the iPhone ding-a-ling in the background at the same time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't think there's really anybody right now other than uh, a goaltender that they're pursuing. You mentioned before Casper Kapanen 
from Toronto as a possible trade target uh, in talks for Wayne Simmons. I, I well, I mean, yeah. I, look, I think things are going to happen. Yeah, things are going to happen in January, uh, beginning in January and through February. I think, I think you might see you know a handful of things take place. Because um, let's look at, I mean, when you look at this at the upcoming schedule for the Flyers, it's not easy. This next little road trip is not going to be an easy trip. Um, it's never easy to go to Florida and win to ga- win those games down there. Tampa's the best team in hockey. It's not even close. Um, I, I don't. That's going to be ugly. I think on Thursday night, and that's not easy to win against the Panthers. Panthers have given the Flyers a hard time so far this season. Then you go back to back Carolina and Nashville, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, um, before you come home and play Carolina again, and then Calgary. Um, so it, the next handful of games are not easy. They're going to have to do, I mean, what are they, 10 points out of a playoff spot, 9 points out of a playoff spot? They're, they're, a, bit of, they're a bit away. And, you know, unless they suddenly can run, run off, you know, a 5-0-1 kind of stretch uh, and kind of get themselves a little bit closer to the, to the race, they're going to be, they're going to, they're going to be moving players. Um, by the way, Kasperi Kapanen scored two goals for the Maple Leafs Sunday night. Well, the price just went up. Yeah, just just want to point that. Could out. I interest you um, in? A, well, no, but I think there's going to be more. To, I think it would be more. To, <laughs> I think there would be more to it than that. Like I don't think it's just Wayne Simmons for Kasperi Kapanen. I think that there would be. There's going to be more to it. Um, oh yeah, we'll take Austin Matthews. That's fine. <laughs> we'll throw in Shane Goss bear. It's cool. <laughs> um, so anyway. I, yeah, I, I think to the, I think those are the first two that are going to happen. I also think Michael Roffel's going to be traded. Um, again, assuming the Flyers are sellers, I think Roffel's going to be traded. Um, and I, you know, I, th- I think those add a goalie, move Simmons, move Roffel, and then we'll see. And think then we'll Bell comes that. up, maybe Phil Myers. That'd be nice. All right, yeah, we'll see. You can talk me into that, Steve Appleman. I hope we uh, our our prior talk about Provorov answers your question there. Um, BJ Beretta asked, uh, what, what should, uh, Chuck Fletcher's new year's resolution be any chatter speculation on who's the radar to come to town? We, we answered that. How's the locker room scene the past few games? I will say that, um, in what was it Tuesday and Thursday's locker room was a much more upbeat. Um, it was, a, it, yeah, it was a much more upbeat place to be. Mo Bamba was still on when we came in, which kind of kills the mood because it does sound like a dog with indigestion. Um, and any Sam Moran update, and will the Flyers risk putting um, putting one on waivers to Lehigh Valley when he's off injured reserve? Um. Well, so they don't have to put him on waivers right away because he's been hurt. He can go on to a rehab assignment. Um, so I think that what you're going to see is I think that the Flyers are going to be really slow play his recovery so that they can kind of get it you know, to a point where um, it's at a point in the season where if he's ready to play, they can probably fit him on the roster. But if, he, if, if look, if they're still in the race, he's not going to be coming off of injured reserve. If they're not in the race at all and they're sellers and they're going to just kind of – play out the last month and a half of the season, see what you have kind of thing. I think he goes down for a rehab assignment, and then you'll see him brought up um, just to to play him. 
Um, so I think that's kind of where you're at with Sam Moran. It, I don't think he's he's nowhere close right now, even though he's had a couple of uh, workout sessions on the ice, one you know with uh, him and the assistant coaches kind of thing. But yeah, you're, I don't think you're going to see him anytime soon. Don't forget, you know, the next episode that we do, maybe we'll have another update on uh, on Lil Pronger, as we like to call him. <laughs> I don't know who we are, but uh, we'll we'll just say that. Uh, anyway. Uh, BJ also asking about uh, how worried he should be on a scale of 1 to 10 about the regression of Nolan Patrick, Ivan Provorov, and Shane Gossespierre. We talked about the latter two. We talked about Nolan Patrick a lot on the Press Row show. Hey, he scored the game he, winner. He did. He did. He beat Henrik Lundqvist. Um, Nolan Patrick has, has not looked like a, uh, a, a guy that's progressed at all. I, I think he's stagnated would be the nicest way to put it and stagnation yep. in in this season off of a, uh, a healthy off season is in its own way regression um jerry temple asked is there a team that circles or that cycles the puck without a purpose more than the flyers uh philly sports fan says uh any word on what fletcher and flair think about our highly regarded prospects any chance they view any one of them not as highly as hextall and would be willing to offer them up in a trade well, I think that that's a possibility. I mean, but again, I don't. I don't think you're moving prospects if you're selling. If you know, a lot will depend on where this team is, um, you know, in the next four to six weeks. Because if the if the Flyers are going to get back into this and make a push for the playoffs, then I do think that they that Fletcher would move. A prospect or two for a veteran player to come in and help the team but I don't think that they're going to just move a prospect for a player for no reason like you know just to just to get a player if they're not going to be competitive so um so yeah no I I, I think that that's it, it, it depends on where the team is in all honesty to answer that question it depends on where the team is okay um, Chris Malanga asks, um, what's the thing holding the team back from being an elite contender, even when everyone is playing well, we don't stack up with Toronto, Washington, and is a soft tank for Hughes still in the cards? Uh, I would, I would, yeah. I mean, going into the game today, I, th- I was looking at the standings going into the game today. They were third from the bottom in, in, the, in the NHL. So, hashtag yeah. lose for Hughes. Yeah, lose for Hughes is a real, is a realistic possibility um again i think we'll we'll find out in the next four to six weeks ultimately i I don't think you can get to that point just yet i don't think you can sit here you know after it's i mean there's still more than half the season left so i don't think you can sit here and say let's tank now but i do think that there is a point in the season where you can um they're just not there yet okay uh, Colt at six two eight eight Colt on Twitter says, uh, "What's the read on Provy in the locker room? Is he aware of his play? How is he handling it?" Yeah, I, I mean, look, I, you know, I know for a fact that, um, you know, he, you know, there's been a lot of frustration with Provy. He, he doesn't like talking after games because of it. Um, he blew the media off when he shoved the official the other day. Um, but I do know that he contacted that official twice. He apologized to him in the building that night and then called him again the next day to reiterate his apology. Um, That's good. So I think he understands where he is and what he's going through a little bit. 
he just hasn't come out of it yet. And so um, I don't think that there's concern in the, in the locker room. I don't think there's concern in the organization. He's still getting top minutes. He's still the number one defenseman, and that's not going to change anytime soon. Um, but he does have to improve. There's no doubt about it. Okay. And uh, do-do-do-do. Justin Kent on Twitter, last one, says, uh, what if this new ice time for Sanheim is just Fletcher showcasing him to the league? Hashtag conspiracy theory season. I I said to him uh, as a very quick response, that would be the darkest timeline for this. Yeah, I don't think that's the case. I don't think that's the case. Um, I think that they're, they, they know that Travis Sanheim is ultimately going to be a top four defenseman. I don't know if I don't know if I mean he's playing top two minutes now and that's great and I you know I hope that he ends up being a top two defenseman. Um, he may not be. He may ultimately be a three, which is okay too. Um, but uh, I don't think that you're looking to move Travis Sanheim at this point now. All right, now it's time for another edition of Who's That Flyer? Before you get to it, I just want to say one thing. Ah, uh, this this is real quick. Carolina Hurricanes on Sunday night. Yeah. Wore Hartford Whalers uniforms. Please don't tell me you're going to talk about number I nineteen. Think, I just think it's awesome. Oh, okay, okay. I thought you were going to talk about the uh, the scan. Well, the uh, the color commentator who took great exception to the number nineteen being worn went on a three minute monologue in the middle of the the game about how it's violating the the rules of hockey and about oh you know back in the you know there was a time when uh. A guy would have his jersey retired and would actually be honored. I don't need that. I don't need three minutes of that nonsense. That guy no. needs a sports psychologist. I just thought it was awesome that they wore those uniforms. No, it was really cool. It was one of my all-time favorite uniforms, by the way. It was really neat. Yeah. All right. Who's that flyer, Anthony? Who's Are that you flyer? ready? Yeah. This flyer spent the uh, spent nine seasons in the orange and black before moving on to uh, two other teams in his NHL career. He played for the team in. The 80s, actually the entirety of the 1980s, and uh, finished his final year in the NHL in 1991-92. His highest scoring season for the Flyers, he had 76 points. That included 39 goals. That followed a season where he had 73 points on 36 goals and 37 assists. This one's not fair. I can answer this one already. (sighs) And you know why I can answer this one? Why? Because he was my favorite player as as a kid. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, the late great Ilka Sinisalo. That is totally right. Yeah. Wow. Yes. I didn't expect that that yes. fast. Wow. Yeah. Well, as soon as you said thirty-nine goal, I mean, when when you said he played for the in the entire eighties, I was like, okay, that's a real good chance that it's Ilka. And then you said his career best was thirty-nine goals, which I knew. Um, that was in nineteen eighty-six. That was actually the year that they the year between their two cup runs. Um, uh, I knew that I knew who you were talking about, and. Um, Ilka died a couple years ago, sadly. Um, but he was a scout for the Flyers for, for a while, uh, scouting over in Europe for them. And I got to meet him in person for the first time in 2004. Um, I was down in Tampa. It was during the year of the lockout, and um, the Springfield Falcons were the Tampa Bay Lightning's uh, AHL affiliate. And I guess they wanted to uh, have games in the Tampa arena uh, to try and you know, to try and please fans who were upset at the fact that there was no NHL, so they decided to have a couple um, AHL games down there. 
So the Phantoms played the Springfield Falcons in Tampa, so I flew to Tampa for that and uh, got to meet Ilka in person. And it was the first time I met him. And um, John Stevens actually introduced me to him. Johnny. That's two and, straight podcasts with the uh, John Stevens reference, yeah. by the way. And uh, so I went up, you know, John says, yeah, this is Anthony. He's the one guy covering the team, traveling with us all over the place. And I shook hands with him. I said, you know, Elka, I got to be honest with you. I said, I just got to tell you right up front. I said, I grew up in Philadelphia. Uh, I was a big Flyers fan growing up, and you were my favorite Flyer. And he looked at me. He says, by looking at you, you make me feel old. Aw. <laughs> I was like, oh, great. Thanks. Well, I'm glad right? that you had a bigger fanboy moment than I did when I met Scott Hartnell. Oh, I, was, I, didn't, was, I didn't gush. No, but I, 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 I actually but talked I, to him, and you know, we had did a nice little interview that day. Um, I, you know, talking to him about scouting and everything else. But I just wanted to let him know because um, growing up, you know, in the '80s, I was I was a teenager, um, at least the late '80s, anyway. And uh, I loved Oka. I had had his jersey. Um, I think it's still floating around somewhere, although it's it was. Uh, it's not been worn in a long, 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 long time. Not that I could wear it anymore anyway because I'm too too big now. But, um, yeah, Oka Sinisalo was my favorite player growing up. Do you know what he's uh, at the all-time, uh, in terms of Flyers players, what his all-time um, number one rank was with the team? He leads the Flyers all-time in one statistic. I, I believe it's uh, penalty shot goals. I don't know. That might be true, but that's not what I was going for. Okay. He's the uh, Flyers' all-time leading goal scorer among European players. Oh, well, that makes sense. Uh, here, I have another. Let's uh, let's really drill down on your your uh, your knowledge of this guy. Yeah. In 1984-85, he finished third in the NHL in game-winning goals. How many did he have? Ooh, 84-85, game-winning goals. He was third in the league. How many did he have? Uh, gee, I, I I wouldn't know off the top of my head. If I had a guess, I'll I'll just spit one out. I'll say he had eight. Sorry, that is incorrect. Oh, sorry. He had nine. <laughs> he had nine. So think about that though. Nine of his thirty-six goals that season were game winners. A yeah, quarter of good. his goals. That's awesome. Yeah, that's a great job. Yeah, he was a really good player. Very underrated. Very underrated player. All right, let's get to some iTunes reviews. Yeah, looking forward to them. We have a four-star, and we have a super four. long... We have a four-star, which I find slightly offensive, um, but but we'll accept it for now. And we have a five-star review that's the longest review I think we've ever gotten, and it actually takes down the previous uh, Things Are Looking Up um, podcast review as being the longest, so uh, bear with us on these. This one's by G Heckert 79. Four okay. stars. Good, but stop talking about yourself. This podcast is good and full of insight, but Ant San talks about himself way too much. We get it. Mm-hmm. You have solid sources and work for the team. Love the show except for all the self-aggrandizing. If I cursed yeah. on this show, I might hit the beat button right now. But no, no, no. And and I get, and I know why that was uh and that so that came out after the last episode. So obviously, what you if if you are not a regular listener or have been following along with what had been going on uh, prior to the Hackstall firing, um, there was a lot of um, real negative reaction by the fans to toward the media for the way 
uh, it was being reported about Hackstall being fired, and then there were some entities that um, were reporting that Joel Quenville was going to be the new coach. And so what I did on the last episode is because there were so many people who cared about that so much is I took time out of the podcast to give like a primer on how reporting kind of works as far as who you're talking to, how many people you talk to, how long it takes before you can put information out publicly, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so this guy probably listens for the first time um, and gets that episode and you know, that's not normally how <laughs> how we handle the show here. Um, but I felt like, and you felt the same, that it was it was a necessary um, response uh, based off of, you know, basically what had happened with the Hackstall firing. So um, it, it was also something that we got a lot of really good feedback on as well. Yeah, it did. We did and, and, but I think we, the good feedback we got is from people who listen regularly as opposed to someone who may have just found us for the first time. And maybe G. Heckard 79 has been a listener the whole time and just didn't like that, you know. Eh, I maybe. Know. I, 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 I don't begrudge him his comment. I mean, four, I mean, four sizes maybe, in bed. We'll take four sizes. Hopefully, like uh, hopefully he finds uh, moving forward that we're not as self-aggrandizing. There we go. All right, here we go. This is the long one. You ready? I'm ready. By just some bleeping guy. I dare you to read this entire review on the podcast five stars. Well, here we go, fella. Buckle up. Russ is, has some good energy and a nice way about him. Wow, that was, that's a nice lead. I've heard people criticize him for being flippant. However, I take a lot of his comments made in jest. Seriously, he's joking when he says this is the only Flyers podcast. No, I'm not. <laughs> there's another one? No, there's not. Okay. Woo. Uh, he seems like a genu- genuinely good guy. Or good dude. I made that up. Good dude. Anthony provides some great insight into the beat writing world and undoubtedly has gathered some great contacts and sources within and around the organization. I don't know if there's anyone else on the beat who is as forthcoming and plugged in as Anthony. And don't worry, he, will let you, he won't let you forget it. <laughs> Anthony <laughs> is a people person. His stories often fill the blanks and are, that are glossed over by the analytical crowd. They provide excellent balance to the work Charlie O'Connor is doing with The Athletic. Now for the bad part. Man, that was only like a third of the review. In the spirit of Festivus, I need to air some grievances. One, uh, where are we at? Unfortunately, the first half of the show always revolves around a bleep measuring contest over who broke what story first, then bragging about who gets the best interviews and how Anthony doesn't get any credit for anything. See, this is my fault. I, I feel like this whole review is my fault because I egg this stuff on. So you maybe, do. I think that's this okay. is more of a commentary on me than it is on you. Anyway, yeah, that's, that's fine. I agree uh, with you. It I is don't your fault. <laughs> I don't disagree with the with that sentiment and could understand the frustration, but don't spend half the show talking about it. Two, this is my biggest issue. I can't comprehend how it's possible that Anthony and Russ don't know the basic player eligibility and waiver rules. Anthony uh, once went off on a riff about Alex Lyon's contract extension, mentioning it's a two-way contract in year one and a one-way contract in year two, speculating that it was so the Flyers could send him to the AHL without him passing through waivers. Speaking directly to Anthony, UM, uh, oh, that's um, not UMM, should know this dude. A two-way contract only means that a player is paid a different rate at the NHL and the versus the AHL. Waiver eligibility is determined by the player's age when he signed uh, an entry-level contract and number of games played. The rules have exemptions, and it can be confusing as to who is eligible and who is not, and can admittedly have some effect on contract negotiations in certain, certain, certain circumstances. I don't expect the average fan to know this, but for a writer who's been on the beat for 20 years, I expect better. <sighs> in the latest episode, Russ speculated at one minute and nine seconds in. Good God. Good God. Is that one Is that one hour and nine minutes in? Maybe it's one hour and nine minutes in. Hexel might have rushed Nolan Patrick to the NHL instead of sending him to the AHL last year. 
I was waiting for Anthony to correct him, and I was flabbergasted when he didn't. Canadian juniors players cannot play in the AHL unless they've reached their uh, draft plus two year. Hextall had two options, return Patrick to the Brandon Wheat Kings or keep him with the Flyers. Would he have benefited from playing in the AHL last year? Absolutely, but it wasn't an option. This might seem like a minor insignificant detail to a casual fan, but they're very basic rules that anyone publicly criticizing NHL roster management or player development should know. All right, that's all. Just had to get that off my chest instead of yelling at the speakers in my car. Other than that, good job, Eric. All right, Eric. I'm going to address the last two issues. Whew. I'm going to address no. I'm going to address the last Whew. two issues because they're they're basically you know he he served the tennis ball into my court and I'm gonna I'm gonna hit a slice backhand right back at him now. Um, backhand. So, so the one so the thing with one way and two way contracts. He's not wrong. He's absolutely 100 percent right that it, it the the two way contract differentiates money. I mean that's really what it what it what it does. But you don't get signed to a one-way contract by a National Hockey League team unless you are expected to solely play in the National Hockey League. Um, you're not giving it. To, you're not giving away money. I mean, that's when you give somebody a one-way contract. It's because you believe they are talented enough to play at that level, and you're no, you don't want to be wasting an NHL salary on a player who is not in the NHL. So to get to sit there and say, well, we're going to give Alex Lyon a two-way contract in year one, but a one-way contract in year two, but we don't really think he's going to be a, a an NHL player, so we don't care. So we're going to pay. You're going to pay a guy six like significant six figures. I mean, because when you look at what it, what what you make at the NHL level, you're going to pay a guy significant six figures to play specifically in the American Hockey League when most guys down there are, are making you know seventy eighty thousand dollars a year. Like it doesn't it doesn't make any sense. It really doesn't make any sense at all. So you know that's why I, that's why I sit there and say to you like you're gonna you want to pay Alex Lyon seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars in twenty nineteen twenty to play in the American Hockey League because that's what he, that's what he's going to get if he clears waivers and doesn't you know and and nobody claims him he's making seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars to play in the American Hockey League as opposed to uh, whatever his um, salary is in the American Hockey League this year I don't know what the actual breakdown I know he's 750 in the NHL uh, I would guess probably 70 eighty thousand roughly <laughs> I'm just guessing uh, in the in the uh, AHL so are you really willing to pay ten, somebody ten times what they should be making just so that they could just so they could play exclusively in the minor leagues no you're not so the point is is that Ron Hextall thought that Alex Lyon, after his uh, performance in the NHL last year, was probably a guy that he looked at as a future backup goalie in the NHL. And that's why he signed him to a two-year extension with the second year being NHL only. That's it. You don't, you don't sign an NHL only contract. If you, or you're not signing a guy to an NHL only contract if you think he's not going to play in the NHL. Then you, why, why sign it? That doesn't make any sense. You're throwing money away. So that's, that's the answer to that question. As far as Russ saying what he said about Nolan Patrick, um, you're 100% correct. He could not have played in the American Hockey League last year. And so if, if Russ said that, and I'm sure he did, I, I, did. Either missed, I either missed it or he said it, I caught it, but in, in, as Russ often does, goes off onto a lengthy tangent. Whoa, whoa, whoa! And by the time I got, by the time I got to speak again, it was pointless to go back and correct them. But I mean, you know, mistakes are said all the time. Like he said a mistake in this very episode earlier. What did I say? You meant to say Gostas Bear, and you said Sandheim. 
and you did it twice. Let me tell you about the difference. I corrected you the first time. The second time, I did not correct you. Okay, See, I didn't. Shane I did not. Cr- Bear is kind of like <laughs> a turkey hoagie from Wawa. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> he seemed so really good at the time, but it after happens. a while, the quality yeah. drops off. Nah, I mean, so I don't. I don't let. I don't, look. If you don't, if you think that I don't know that a, a first year player coming out of the draft is either in the NHL or back to junior hockey, you got you. You're really misunderstanding. It's my fault. Who you're talking to? Really, so. the <laughs> negative stuff that's said in iTunes reviews still end up being five stars. So thank you for that, Eric. Uh, most but of no, but them. Thanks for fault. the rest of it, Eric. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Although there were kind words about me in the beginning, and that's nice. Although if I, I, I if I pat myself on the back for having some nice kind words there, then the pre the, the four star review is going to be upset that I self aggrandized. So so wait, I, really? I got another, this is a catch twenty two. We have another review, by the way. What? No, we don't. Not on. Not on. Not there. Where? I got I got a text message. Uh oh. I got a text message yesterday, at four thirty in the afternoon. Whoa. I'm warming up to Russ a little bit. You whipped him into shape. <laughs> That's I'll from my it. son, Anthony. Ah <laughs> oh, man. Come on. <laughs> I thought this was going to be like the uh, the anonymous Philadelphia sports media figure. And I was going to no, be like, oh, no. Thanks, from my, thanks, thanks my again. Son. My son just jumps in. He's He's been – he t- comments all the time about every episode of this and of um, – Crossed, crossed up, up with Bob. He made an appearance on Crossed Up. He did. He made summer. a brief. He made a brief appearance on Crossed Up. And I think, in all honesty, with as much as my kid knows about baseball, he should have his own podcast and should be doing his own thing. But he doesn't listen to me. Lazy and, and doesn't do it. So uh, maybe I can convince Bob to let him jump on from time to time. There you go. I think. I think he. Uh, I think he brings a lot. I mean, he's he's really smart. He knows more. I, as much as I like to think I know, I think my my kid knows more. And he's not a kid. He's he's going to be twenty three and couple weeks so um so yeah he's not he's not a kid kid he's like my peer he's he's closer in age to you right thanks dad so yeah so anyway all right well uh, thanks for those two reviews guys we really appreciate it four four star five star all right so i'm gonna pat pat us on the back a little bit uh so take that here we go again i want to thank our listeners as always and uh we're sitting here on Christmas Eve Eve, and the the clock is really about to strike Christmas Eve. Um, I I think we'll be back with another episode before the new year. If we're not, it'll be almost immediately after the new year. So keep an eye on your uh, your podcast feeds. But I wanted to thank everybody who's been listening. In the course of the eight-ish months that we've been doing this show, we've seen our audience grow quite steadily over the summer. Um, but in the last few weeks, the, the audience f- has flat out doubled. And it's not some like paltry number. It's actually been a, a very significant number that, that has, has increased. And it's been really nice. And I know that that, uh, that speaks a lot to the, the coverage that Anthony provides on the site. And uh, you know, I, I just wanted to say thanks. And, yeah, and I, our, I, our numbers I on the, the Press Row Show online have, have also been growing a lot. And, and that's really cool. And so for the people that – I know we say this all the time. Um, but, you know, if, if you listen to Snow the Goal and, and you think in between, man, I wish I knew what they, what, what they thought about how this game's going, don't forget that, if you know, Flyers home games, we do the Press Row Show on Anthony's Twitter feed and slash Periscope and on uh, the Crossing Broad Facebook page. So you can always tune in there. And I think I even have links to that stuff in the description of this episode. But anyway, thanks to, uh, to everybody who listens, yeah. who watches, sends kind words. And even those who no, I, send I, critical I, ones, I want to say thank you too. And I, I think it's, it's, you know, Russ, when you really look at it, we don't do this for us. 
right? I mean, we don't, we don't, we're not sitting here saying we need to, we need to talk and listen to ourselves talk. Like, I, you know, I don't go back and listen to our shows. I mean, I, you, I know you do because you only, you have to edit it and get it ready to go. And but, but, but once it's out there, like I'm not, I'm not going on and listening to the show. Like, so I don't, I don't need to hear myself. I, I think we do it to provide you know, interesting content to the fan base. And, and that's kind of what we're hoping for. And so when we have the show growing the way it's growing, I think that that means that the fans, you know, like what we're providing and, and, and we appreciate that. And we appreciate that they're listening into the show and that they're, you know, tuning into the press row show and they're reaching out to us on Twitter. We get a ton of questions every week and it's great. It's awesome. Um, so I, you know, ultimately this is not about, Russ Joy and Anthony Sanfilippo. This is about fans of the Philadelphia Flyers, and we want to make this as a best show as possible for you. Um, so keep definitely keep uh, reaching out to us as we go into the new year, and uh, let us know what you'd like to hear. If there's something you'd like to see different, uh, if you have any ideas, we'll take them as well. Um, but uh, we hope to continue to make this the uh, the one stop shop for fl- your Flyers coverage um, as far as podcasts go in uh, the Philadelphia market. And for those who uh, who might be celebrating Christmas uh, in the next couple of days, uh, you know, enjoy it. Merry Christmas. Have uh, yeah. have a wonderful time. And uh, for those who don't, I hope you uh, I hope you have a really nice day. Hope you have a couple couple nice days while everybody else is out <laughs> doing their thing. I guess I was gonna say like you know, Happy Hanukkah. Well, Hanukkah's over. Yeah, I, don't, I know. I guess I should know when Kwanzaa is, right? I think it's now. Is it? No, Kwanzaa starts on the twenty sixth. Kwanzaa yeah, goes well, 26th through January 1st, so if you're celebrating Kwanzaa, I hope you enjoy that as well. There you go. If there's another holiday, Festivus just happened, so hope you enjoyed that. Winter Solstice. Did the Winter Solstice happen? That was the 21st, I think. Um, yes, it was. Anyway, uh, as you're getting together with family and friends, if they're Flyers fans, let them know about the show. If you have an, an older relative who has an iPhone for whatever reason, like my parents do, they don't know how to use them, but they have them, go into their uh, their iPod or their iPhone or whatever. God, I sent it all on that. Go into their iPhone, go pull up the Apple Podcasts app, and subscribe to Snow the Goalie. Leave a five-star review on their device. It'll be fine. It's, like, totally cool. Um, anyway, for uh, for Anthony, who you can find on Twitter, at AntSanPhilly, I'm Russ, at Joy on Broad. Thanks again for listening. And by the way, not that I'm saying I was right, but before we started recording, I said to Anthony, the show's going to be an hour 15. Anthony said, no, I think it's going to be a short one. Well... When we mix in the uh, Scott Hartnell audio, I think we're going to be almost at two hours. So hopefully this carries you through the week, through some long drives. If you're going on the road, please drive safely. And uh, we'll be back very soon with a new episode of Snow the Goalie. And, of course, check us out on Facebook Live and on Twitter slash Periscope for the Press Row Show for the next Flyers home game. We will talk to you soon. Thanks again for listening. And uh, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year.